0: This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast. I'm Marianne Matzo.
0: I'm Charlie Navarrete.
1: And happy birthday to Elvis.
0: Thank you very much.
1: He's 86 today. 86. So, I know. So, put on your favorite Elvis record on your record player. Put your bobby socks on, your leather jacket. Grab something yummy to eat and drink, and relax. And thank you for spending the next hour with us as we talk about Elvis Presley. Because what else would we be talking about? In the second half, we're going to be talking about deaths related to substance use disorder, which is SUDs. And in our third half, Charlie is reading a poem from a twenty-three-year-old young woman who died from an overdose. In 1956, the United States was in the throes of a medical crisis. The Salk polio vaccine had been available for just over a year, and it was creating hope that maybe this virus that had haunted communities for decades was going to go away. So, despite scant government safety oversight, remember, it was 1956, Mm -hmm. the vaccine had been embraced by much of the public as a long-awaited salvation. But... One early batch of bad shots had sickened, paralyzed, and killed children. But remember, it was 1956 right. and they didn't do the testing.
0: That we do today, right?
1: That we do today. So these shots were recalled and the drug maker was expelled from the polio program. Vaccines resumed, but some people remained hesitant especially teenagers, because they said, why do we have to get the vaccine? Um, they thought that the um, polio was something that happened to little kids and babies. They said, Does it doesn't apply to me. I'm, I, you know, we don't want this vaccine. So, so on October 20. So with
0: that, I mean, were they, were teenagers still afflicted though?
1: Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So you, you can, you can, you can get and be sick and be, um, harmed by the polio um, virus at any, any age. age.
0: right. But, okay.
1: but they called it, mm-hmm. at that time, they called it, it was known as infantile paralysis. Right, right, right,
0: right. And yeah. because
1: they called it that, there was this misguided notion that it only affected babies. So, on October 28, 1956, Alvis Presley, at the age of 21, was backstage at the Ed Sullivan's Show. And this American hero of the youth of America um, put out his left arm and they gave him a polio vaccine right before the Ed Sullivan show. And there are numerous pictures of him receiving this vaccine. The flashbulbs went off and Elvis became a polio star. Not a porn star, a polio star. And Elvis went on to build public trust in taking the vaccine. So we have Elvis Presley to thank for helping to deal with the polio pandemic.
2: This is Presley. If
1: you believe polio is beaten, I ask you to listen. Remember me.
2: That's the voice of thousands who know the fight against polio is just as tough as it ever was. They're crippled, and the Salk vaccine can't help them recover. But you can. Remember polio victims. Join the 1957 March of Dimes today. Elvis Presley. So,
1: just like in a wonderful life, Charlie, Mm -hmm. if Elvis had never been born, we would still have polio.
0: Um. Yeah, okay
2: (laughs) (laughs) So much power (laughs) in the hand of
0: one man
1: In the arm of one man
0: There we are
1: So Charlie, we're celebrating Elvis Elvis Presley's birthday today So So that must
0: mean food (laughs)
1: <laughs> Everything means foods. So, what can you tell us about Elvis?
0: Well, Elvis was born on January eighth, nineteen thirty-five. His now he had an identical twin brother named Jesse garen Presley. Uh, I didn't know this. Did
1: you know this? Oh yeah. Obviously, you're saying it. yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um and I, yeah I, I remember i mean because, i mean sadly his uh, brother was uh, uh was delivered stillborn i mean just before mm. you know elvis was born you know but a, as a kid elvis was a loner and often brought his, brought a, a guitar to school with him every day and elvis's wow. uh now with that elvis's favorite res- restaurant <laughs> elvis, yeah no <laughs> they were do- do- poor there were no such thing as a restaurant, but Elvis's favorite sandwich was peanut butter and banana, and he liked it with bacon too. Mm mm mm. So, have you
1: ever had that?
0: N- not no, it just never appealed to me. Nope.
1: Well, I got I got to tell you, it never appealed to me either. But I was looking at the recipe. Yeah. And um. I didn't know uh-huh. that it was like grilled, you know. So I, I know you're going to tell us about the sandwich. I'll wait. Do I to wait to tell you about? It? So I experimented. I didn't really want the oh. banana part, no.
0: Yeah.
1: But I experimented by making a peanut butter grilled sandwich in honor of Elvis Presley.
0: How'd that work out? And
1: I just, I just want to tell you that it was so freaking good, really, because the peanut. Yeah. butter melts the yeah. peanut butter melts well,
2: heated, and so yeah. uh-huh. it's like
1: a crunch, you know, and I had you know I've been baking bread, so I had homemade bread, you know butter on one side, which you know you could just start start right there, but then you grill it and with the peanut butter on it, and the peanut butter like just drips out, oh, my God, it was good,
0: well, what about the bananas and the uh bacon?
1: Well, I, I did it sans bananas. Ah,
0: I see. And
1: the thing with it is that you're supposed to mash the banana into the peanut butter. Some people just lay the banana mm-hmm. on top of the peanut butter. Yeah. But Elvis's way is you got to mash it into the peanut butter, then put it on the bread, and then grill it. And that's the part. Those were the two parts I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But the grilling, Uh oh my God. It's like grilled cheese, except it's grilled peanut butter. Okay. And I'm thinking you could probably put like a few pieces like chocolate chips in there and let the chocolate melt in with the peanut butter. (laughs) You'd have (laughs) dessert and a sandwich all in one.
0: There we are. Better chemistry through eating.
1: Yes. And, and, (laughs) and And
0: you could streamline. Streamline everything. Just yeah your yeah. meal and dessert all in once
1: I'm thinking
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so so yeah, so, yeah I mean like you said the <laughs> the ingredients um you know elvis would you know, like I said would have a banana a couple of slices of bread uh some peanut butter about the three tablespoons, but then also he would put a a couple of tablespoons of butter, like you know put it on the no, bread the, as well. The,
1: the butter was for grilling it to put it on the outside of the bread mm-hmm. and grill it like you grill, gr-
0: right? Yeah, grilled like a uh, like a regular grilled cheese. Yeah. And then, of course, so if you
1: butter and butter,
0: so so, and, and of course, <laughs> if you're trying to maintain your weight, you would not add that bacon. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> well, if you're yeah, if you're on a diet, you leave the bacon off.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: But if it's your cheat day, you can have the bacon. I haven't tried the bacon and the peanut butter yet. Mm-hmm. I have to have something to look forward to, Charlie. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're still quarantining.
0: <laughs> we all need something to look forward to, yes.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. So are we baking um, Elvis a birthday cake this, this year, or are we just forgetting about it?
0: Um, well, maybe through, a, through Zoom or Skype, but... Uh, yeah, I'll, I will think of Elvis. I'll play a couple of his tunes. Maybe go back and watch uh, "Viva Las Vegas." Um, but I probably won't be having the sandwich, though that pound cake does sound damn good.
1: So tell me about the pound cake.
0: Well, it's uh, it it uh, it weighs a pound, and. Um, <laughs> So this bit okay. so this, that's our show for there, today. You know, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in folks. Thank you very much. Well, I mean basically, you know, it's a, called a, a whipping cream pound cake. Uh has lots of eggs, butter, cream and a dash of cinnamon on top. I don't know I the I, I I don't I don't, I don't <laughs> know the whole recipe or anything. But if you go to our webpage, that's at everyonedies.org. At everythenumber1dies.org, you will find the recipe there. Not only that, but if you wouldn't mind on occasion sending us your own recipes, then we can share that with everyone else. Also, we appreciate your questions and anything else you want to tell us. You can email us at mail at Again, the number one. And please join our Facebook group, Everyone Dies. Uh, This time it's spelled out. Everyone dies. And please remember to rate and review this podcast. Molly stirred, not shaken. Our Twitter correspondent is hoping you will follow us on Twitter and repost her tweets so that we can stop making up names for her.
1: But where would be the fun in that?
0: Uh, It wouldn't be. So as often as we repeat that, it's probably not going to change.
1: So in our second half we're going to talk about mourning a life lost to addiction. And this is a complicated subject on many levels because if somebody dies of an overdose, it's a sudden death, a sudden loss so that you wouldn't have known that that time that you kissed them goodbye would have been Was the, the last, last time? time. Yeah. That, not that, you, that we always have that, that gift of, of knowing, but in a, in a substance abuse death um, or substance use death, an overdose of some sort, th- this is particularly true. So anyone who's lost a loved one through substance use knows that society treats this loss differently than a death from any other cause. There's this belief that the one who died must have somehow been a bad person. And for those of us who are left behind, um, we must have somehow done something wrong. Um, We must have been a bad parent or a bad spouse or a bad partner or a bad sibling or a bad friend. um, Or else that person wouldn't have died. Uh, But we're not bad people. The one we lost was not a bad person. There's no blame here. For them or for you. They did their best. They struggled with the disease, but ultimately the disease took their life. And however it is that you tried to save them, you did your best. Because that's what love does. That's what we do. And we're going to talk about this, you know, the issue of the of the blame of what Quote, unquote, what kind of person dies from substance use? Anybody can die from substance use. So let's talk about that. Now, remember, we've talked in the past that grief is the process of mourning the loss of a loved one, moving through the painful yearning to have them back at your side. Um, But this is more complicated because there's a lot more emotion attached to it and so the grieving process is a lot more difficult. Um, we can start to mourn the loss of a per- person with certain diseases long before they actually die. So if somebody has a, a cancer diagnosis, of you know, like an end-stage, stage 4 cancer, you know what that outcome is going to be. And we can start to mourn them. We can start to think about life without them. Um, The disease that causes dementia. That's another example of this. But substance use disorder is another. Not every relationship is smooth or free from conflict. Many people have mixed feelings about the person that has died. With addiction, that emptiness may have been there for a while. This is especially true if your loved one was an addict. Even more significant if the two of you were estranged for a while. And so how do you grieve this conflicted relationship that's caused by the substance use disorder So first off Charlie let's talk about how prevalent it is Deaths in America fell for the first time in 25 years in 2019 oh, Excuse me 2018 first time decline in 25, in, in 25 years 25 in years Jeez In 25 years first decline But then It rose to record numbers in 2019, and they're continuing to climb. A resurgence that's being complicated and maybe even worsened by the coronavirus pandemic. Nearly 72,000 Americans died from drug overdoses last year. And this is an increase of 5% from 2018. So from 2018 to 2019, drug substance abuse. Um, overdoses went up 5%. Drugs from drug overdoses remain higher than the peak yearly death totals ever recorded for car accidents, guns, or AIDS. And their acceleration in recent years has pushed down overall life expectancy in the United States. So the drug use issues affect our entire society. They affect the entire United States in terms of life expectancy, loss of people who can, you know, even if you want to be uh, very hardcore about it, people who could be contributing to paying taxes, to social security, to contributing to making lives better. Talented people have, have died. And some of it, it's a very complicated issue. Some of the people buying street drugs that are laced with other things like fentanyl. We have a uh, uh, radio on our our Passion World Talk radio show, Charlie, this yeah. week. I have an interview with a woman named Polly, whose thirty something year old son. Um, died of an overdose, and it took days for them to finally find him in his car. Oh. And he had bought he had bought street drugs, and, and he was an addict. Yes, he had bought street drugs, but they found that it was laced with fentanyl, and that was likely the cause of his death. Hmm. So it's not like he yeah. had set out to say, "I'm going to kill myself." He set out to get high, and as a consequence of what he bought, he died. So the grief that's associated with an overdose death typically falls into the category of complicated grieving, and and we have a podcast for that, Um, because there are so many levels of feelings associated with it, and it's hard to come to an understanding about it. And so what I wanted to talk with you about, Charlie, today was why is this true? First, there's this feeling that it's avoidable. So much like suicide death, there's this Complexity in overdose deaths, and that people feel like the death was somehow preventable. Um, There's complicated emotions which can be linked back to thinking it could have been avoided. Other feelings, including guilt, shame, blame, fear, and isolation, can also be traced back to this feeling. In our interview this week with Polly, you can hear her talk about that. There's this circular thing about. We helped him. We tried. But could there have been more? Could there have been something else? You know, and people will talk about, it. maybe if I had done this instead of that, he, he or she would still be alive. Unfortunately, that's, that's not the way it, it, it's sort of meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, another feeling is guilt. Guilt. Um, though guilt can be a component of grief for many types of losses, overdose deaths can present with many different types of, of guilt. So let me give you some examples. Friends and family can feel guilt that they could have or should have done something to prevent the, the death. Guilt that the family member had addiction. Like if you're the parent and it's your child and you're saying, my job was to raise this child and... They're an addict. That that guilt of, you know, did I was I was I a bad parent? Or, you know, even for a spouse, didn't I love them? Am I somehow at fault that the person who died even developed the addiction? You know, people can say, your one job as a parent is to take care of your kid, you know, and I couldn't, and it makes me feel like a failure as a mom. Death um, guilt at the death brings a sense of relief after years of addiction impacting family and friends. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, have an, I have an another friend with um, an addicted child who, you know, any holiday, any vacation, any event, there's a story about how her actions, quote-unquote, ruined whatever it was. And so it's only kind of human to say, oh, that's over. But then if we acknowledge that in our heads, then we feel guilty. Um, And also obsession over actions done or not done to support the person who died. Issues of shame. Um, There's often a question of the difference between guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. But it's important to understand that the distinction Um between these two can really impact grieving of an overdose death. So the difference is between a personal experience versus a social experience. Grief is something that we feel, oh, excuse me, guilt is something that we feel within ourselves based on our own perception that we could or should have done something in a certain situation. Shame is something that we feel based on our own perception that others think that we could or should have done something differently. Right,
0: right, yeah.
1: Shame that others are judging us or our loved one. And how do we know if shame is that feeling? So here's some examples. Shame that the family members suffered from addiction, a parent believing others think it was their fault or that they were a bad parent for having a child who suffers from addiction. Shame for making it too easy for the person who died, you know, giving, you know, that, enab- that term enabling, you know, helping them out of situations, giving them money, letting them come back uh, home oh, okay. yeah. for the 20th time, that kind of thing. Shame and not doing enough to help the person who died. Shame for the person who died, feeling that others blame that person for their addiction and our death and that they somehow are less worthy of mourning. You know these this feelings like they're an addict. So what?
0: Right. Well, yeah.
1: they're an addict. But it's, but still, it's still my yeah, kid. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, there's the issue of blame, and this includes self blame as well as blame between family and fr- friend members. Um, common feeling about this are things like blame toward those who use the alcohol and drugs with the person who died. You know, if you, if you weren't there, you know, drinking with them and shooting up, they wouldn't have done it. Well, that's not true. Well, But yeah. you can still blame your right. friends. Yeah. Um, self-blame for the person for developing the addiction is their fault. You know, they woke up one day and they said, damn, you know what, Charlie, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to become be a an addict.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: No, it doesn't work that way. It's a disease. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to become a diabetic. Or I'm gonna develop cancer. Or I'm you know going to get heart disease. No one wakes up and says that. And neither does the addict. The self-blame for the person's death. Blame toward the person who died for their own death. Well, if they weren't taking the drugs, they wouldn't have died. Well, if they didn't do this, they wouldn't have died. Well, you know. Sometimes stuff just happens, and yes, they were in the way of it happening, but sometimes things just happen. Um, blame other family members for not preventing the death. Well, you know, if, if, if you'd been home more, if you hadn't been working so much, you, you know, this never would have happened. Um, or obsession over actions done or not done to support the person who died. The next issue is around fear and anxiety. Death from an overdose affects the entire family and often the community at large. I mean, you can have a bad dose of, or dose, I sound like a nurse, a bad batch of drugs come into a community yeah. that's laced with fentanyl or laced with something weird, and 10 kids in your community die. So that addict, that... that um, that death related to addiction can affect not only you, but the people within your community. And, and how did this happen? And all of those questions that go with that. Um. So i was i was talking about fear and anxiety right so the fear and anxiety has roots in things like uh, fear that other families will start abusing substances well if daughter number one abuses drugs then how do i know that daughter number two and you know my son aren't going to do that too i never would have known that that my first daughter did so how would i know that anybody else did Uh, Fear that others are already using substances and will overdose. Fear that others who are in recovery will relapse. So the mind starts twirling in circles about all the other things that can go on. These anxieties can lead to mistrust between surviving family members and friends can lead survivors to attempt to control those around them, trying to protect them from addiction and overdose and become all-consuming to the person who is, in, who is grieving.
0: Yeah, yep.
1: So, what do you do? Someone you love has died from an overdose. Well, when the death of your loved one happened because of substance addiction— one that you tried to help with, but ultimately had to take distance or space from, your grief can be more complicated. First, there's that guilt about not doing more. There's the stigma surrounding this kind of death. Again, it's not unusual to feel relief—not from their death, but because they're no longer. Oh, sure. Everything associated or,
0: of being with a yeah. someone addicted with a, an addiction problem. Yeah.
1: Right. You may feel judged for feeling relief, or people may blame your loved one for just not quitting drugs. But those in the same situation understand how the relief gets tossed around in an endless wave of sadness and anger. So what can you do? And these are in no particular order, but some things you can do. Um, Number one, you can find... You may find it hard to tell people that substances played a role in the death of your loved one. Part of your healing process is to commit to accepting the circumstances of the death. Say the words. These people are loved and are grieving, and their addiction and overdose does not change that. So if your child, your husband, whoever died from an overdose... Don't try to sugarcoat it. Don't say they died from an overdose. Finding your own way to face the role of drugs in their death, either to yourself and to others, is an important part of grieving an overdose death. Share who they were and how they died. And each time you tell your story, you have an impact on changing the stigma, the blame, the isolation, and the shame. As with anything else, if you don't talk about it, it takes on its own mysterious thing mm-hmm.
2: don't
1: let's let's, shed, let's yeah, change that.
0: that yeah, you know shed light on it let's keep it out in the open where you know it's there for everyone to see and to discuss and deal with
1: it's like it's like in Fight club, Charlie, you know, when they say say his name, hmm what was his name
0: Oh, um, I don't remember.
1: So there's a guy who who dies in Fight Club, which happens to be on probably my top five lists of movies that I love, and they they say 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 his name, and they say his name to to recognize that he died, and it's in the same way here. Say what caused the death. Um. Second thing is promise yourself that with each guilty, self hatred thought. That you remind yourself that this was not my fault. As hard as it is to believe, it is the truth. Addiction is a serious, often deadly disease. But like any disease, no one is to blame. If somebody dies of cancer, you don't say, that loser. You know, Mm, who cares? They brought that on themselves. You say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. The language we use with cancer is they lost their battle with cancer. Now, We could do a whole show about how I think about that. But nonetheless, somebody who has cancer is seen as a warrior, as a fighter. And somebody who dies from substance abuse disorder is seen as a loser. And I think yeah. that we mm-hmm. need to change that. And we can only change it by talking about it. Third, be honest with yourself in every moment. Understand about addiction, in that we have to work to accept that we are powerless over someone else's addiction. Grief and guilt are not rational, so we cannot use it to as a reason to make them go away. These are these feelings that. So what I'm saying is, these feelings are not rational feelings, and so. You have to kind of say to yourself, you know, go back to number two, this was not my fault. I miss my child. I love my child. I'm so sad that they died. Without putting in the addiction part of it, you've still lost somebody. Somebody has still died.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Fourth, allow yourself the opportunity to name your emotions, even the ones you may feel guilty about. Mourning a loved one forces you to analyze every aspect of the entire relationship. You're bound to have these mixed feelings. You know, no relationship is perfect. I always find it so interesting that once a person dies, they were. The best student, the best husband, the best everything, because we put kind (laughs) of a a, a sugary glaze on their memory, but it's just a sugary glaze. If you wiped it off, you would remember all the other parts, but, you know, it's like the pain of childbirth. We forget about it after, I mean, we know it was there when it happened, God knows, but afterwards, we forget about it. And that's what happens in the grieving process is that we only remember the good. But allow yourself to feel all of the emotions. You don't have to use words to express your emotions. You can use art, music, boxing, volunteering. I was reading about one woman who's, I I don't remember, I'm sorry, if it was a girl or boy who died, a child who died from an overdose. And she started a program like Boxing a boxing program so that people who the survivors go into this program and kind of box out their feelings and i thought that is really cool
0: to get it all out yeah
1: yeah um conflicting relationships can often complicate pain we may find ourselves focusing on the not so pleasant memories of the time and distance that was spent apart Let yourself feel these feelings and talk with others about them. The more that you hold in, the more hurt and isolated that you can feel. Talking about death gives others the opportunity to talk about their own grief. And lastly, people may be well-intentioned or maybe just really uninformed about addiction-related deaths. They may they may imply that an overdose death is a less worthy death or that life of someone suffering addiction is a somehow less worthy of mourning. If and when, and, you know, I think it's probably more of a when, but, you know, I don't want to be jaded. So if or when people say things that are not helpful or outright hurtful, tell them. Say, i I know you're coming from a place of love, even though you may not believe that. Or, <laughs> I know that you're just trying to be helpful, but that doesn't help me.
0: Yeah, I think more of that. that. I hurts. know, I know you're, that you think you're trying to be helpful, not, uh, oh, I'm sure you're coming from a place of love. Yeah, screw that. Well,
1: <laughs> whatever works for you. But tell them, you know, when you say that this was his own fault... That really, that really hurts me. That hurts my feelings. That hurts my heart. He didn't choose this. This is what happened. Um, they may not honestly know that their words are hurting you. So you educate them. And maybe they learn, and for the next person that they try to comfort, they, they do a better job. But if they continue, even after you chat with them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you just might need to avoid them. And surround yourself with people who are supportive. Yeah. You're grieving. This is hard. And you don't need fuel on the fire. And so you can just, you know, it's called ghosting. Don't answer their calls. Don't answer their texts. Give yourself some space. You can decide later if you want them back in your life. But right now, what I want you to do is to protect yourself. Right. Protect your yeah. heart. Yeah. That's broken. So we have a lot of resources um, on our our webpage. There's even an addiction treatment needs assessment that's really cool. It's on shatterproof.org, and we'll give you the link on our website, where um, somebody who is an addict can kind of go in and do like a five-minute quiz, and then they, they give you resources like, oh, well, here's these other resources for you. So um lots of resources and uh you have any questions about that Charlie?
0: No, it's just um no I'm just thinking what what just you had said There's what society sees and and of course people get a lot of information misinformation uh from you know from the internet or it, it, and just also what people see on TV. I mean that becomes uh, Unless you have personally experienced it, that becomes the image that, you know, uh, what you see on some TV program or in a movie. Um, you know, and it's, and it, like you said, it's just not the reality. And sometimes well-intentioned people um, are the same as misinformed people. And they just say whatever, how the way they see it, and which does, you know, the survivor absolutely no good. So... Yeah:
1: So our hearts go out to you, who, if you're grieving someone from um, death related to substance use disorder, listen to um, the radio show with Polly. Her interview is incredible as a, as a mom, from a mom's point of view. And uh, what your um, uh, sons only only been dead like a year and a half? What?
0: And, uh, where do you broadcast again from?
1: Um, It's Passion World Talk Radio. Sandy puts the link um, on the website so that you can just click with it. Click with it, baby.
0: That's right.
1: That's right. So um, in our third half, uh, as I was researching the second half, I found um, kind of an example of when I say talk about it is that people are sometimes putting – Things in their children's or spouse's obituaries talking about the addiction. And so you, sometimes when you read an um, obituary, you say they you know lost their battle with addiction or whatever. Um, you might say to yourself, well, oh my God, why are they advertising that to everybody? Because we have the stigma associated with it. When in fact, what they're trying to do is to start to say the words. Say the words and let people know. Well, um, Delaney Marie Farrell was 23 um, when she died July 1st, 2017, in Williamsport. And her obituary included uh, a poem that she wrote. So this first part of the obituary, it says that um, she died after a long and hard battle with drug addiction. Delaney would also write in her journals or just random pieces of paper. Some were private, but some she would share. She forwarded one of her last entries to her sister, which depicts the pain and suffering. Her family has put it in the obituary um, as a way to educate the public, and Charlie's going to read it to us now.
0: Funny, I don't remember no good dope days. I remember walking for miles in a dope fiend haze, I remember sleeping in houses that had no electric. I remember being called a junkie, but I couldn't accept it. I remember hanging out in the abandos that were empty and dark. I remember shooting up in the bathroom and falling out at the park. I remember nodding out in front of my sister's kid. I remember not remembering half of the things I did. I remember the dope man's time frame, just 10 more minutes. I remember those days being so sick that I just wanted to end it. I remember the birthdays and holiday celebrations, all the things I missed during my incarceration. I remember overdosing on my bedroom floor. I remember my sister's cry and my dad having to break down the door. I remember the look on his face when I opened my eyes, thinking today was the day that his baby had died. I remember blaming myself when my mom decided to leave. I remember the guilt I felt in my chest making it hard to breathe. I remember caring so much but not knowing how to show it. And I know to this day that you probably don't even know it. I remember feeling like I lost all hope. I remember giving up my body for that next bag of dope. I remember only causing pain, destruction, and harm. I remember the tracking marks, the needles left on my arm. I remember watching the slow breakup of my home. I remember thinking my family would be better off if I just left them alone. I remember looking in the mirror at my sickly complexion. I remember not recognizing myself in my own damn reflection. I remember constantly obsessing over my next score, but what I remember most is getting down on my knees and asking God to save me because I don't want to do this no more.
1: Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for future episodes of Everyone Dies. Our thank to the executive producer, Major General Retired David Gillette, our producer Sandy, John, our technical advisor, Tom Hartman, our administrative advisor, Polly, Polly, Molly, or whatever the heck we're calling her today, our Twitter correspondent, and our family, friends, and loyal listeners who are supporting our work at Everyone Dies. This is Marianne Matzo.
0: And I'm Charlie Navarrete
1: and we look forward to talking with you soon. Remember, every day is a gift. This podcast
2: does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.